So if you have been with us over the past six months, or actually now nine months, um, it has been our challenge, it's been a pleasure, it has been a joy, and it's been a learning experience for me uh, to dig deeply into the Gospel of John. It is the practice, oh yeah, young people get to leave, but I I will tell you this, you're going to miss out on some good stuff. And I mean maybe something to eat. Yeah. Um, it is the practice of this church over the past several years, I guess. I think when I came, uh, the church served the Lord's Supper quarterly, and that was the tradition I was accustomed to in the civilian church. As a military chaplain, I was accustomed to serving communion the first Sunday of every month. And after being here a few months, somebody said, or actually maybe longer than that, somebody said, why don't we do it more frequently? And I said, hey. It was always easy for me to remember the first Sunday of the month to serve communion, so let's serve the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of every month. And in God's perfect timing, isn't it wonderful that we come to the sixth chapter of John today, and we read once again that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This Sunday, communion Sunday, Jesus speaks to us afresh saying that I am the bread of life. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward at this time because today I want to serve the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, the love meal, has many different names, different denominations and traditions, but I'm going to ask our deacons that can come forward to to come. and um, We're going to do it just a little bit differently, but... uh, Gentlemen, as I told those who were in my office earlier, when you take that cloth off, uh, be careful because you may lose a whole slice of bread in there. So go ahead, take it off, and um, in just a moment, I think there are six trays, and if these gentlemen could go ahead and start grabbing a tray and start serving. You know, that's what the role of a deacon in a Baptist church is, is a servant. And uh, these men are uh, called and ordained, set apart uh, by this congregation uh, to serve. So thank you, gentlemen, for doing that. And if somebody wants to start from the back so it's a little faster, that's okay. I'd like for each of you to take a slice because we offer in this church an open communion. That is, for all those who profess their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, this communion, this Lord's Supper is open to you. You've heard me say over the years, my mom and sister are here, the church at the time I was young was a closed communion church. My little friend, I grew up in Jonesboro, Illinois, but we went to the First Baptist Church of Anna, and the First Baptist Church of Jonesboro was literally right up the street from my house, and my friend that went to that church could not take communion when he spent the night at my house, and we went to church that next morning. It just blows my mind that we as Christians loving one another can be at some time so tunnel-visioned. Let me give you just a brief history of how we and why we do this as it's being served. If you've listened to anything I've said over the past few years, you know that Jesus took the Passover meal, that meal that was prepared in haste, thus the unleavened bread, not time for it to rise, as the children of Israel who were in captivity in Egypt were promised to be led out of captivity. So they took this meal... They they spread blood over the doorposts of 
their chosen lamb, their sacrifice, and they had this meal, and they with haste left. Jesus, as it was then the practice for generations after those who were led out of Egypt and into the wilderness and into the promised land, it was always a teaching meal for those parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, those who perhaps had not lived in the Exodus but knew the story, had heard it firsthand, and they wanted to teach their children. And deacons, you can come sit down after you get, get a slice. And Actually, I need to, too. So. And I, I started to uh, say that if you took one of the top ones that was a big slice, you would have a lot to eat. Thank you, sir. And then some of us are uh, more particular in the type of bread. I was hoping you weren't fingering your way through to find the flavor that you like. Didn't sniff it or snort it. You know. um, and let me tell you, for a guy who started a diet on the first of the month, as I always started every month on the first of it, I'm a, bread is my Achilles heel. I love bread. And buying the bread yesterday, I just wanted to buy all the other things. And you know, to go with it, and if I just put it in the toaster and put some butter on it, but then I lose, I think, some of the sacramental, some of the sacredness of the event. But backing up, the, the, the Jews of Jesus' day continued to practice the Passover meal, and it was a reminder of God's deliverance, God's faithfulness, God's protection, God's ability to suppress an Egyptian pharaoh and then march his kids, if you will, his children, to the promised land. Jesus took that meal and kind of spun it around and said, I will be the sacrificial lamb. It will be my body that will be broken for you. It will be my blood that will be shed for you, like that which was stained on the front of the doors. I will become the sacrifice. And that through faith in me, you might have life everlasting. Now, after that last supper with his disciples, you fast forward into 1 Corinthians. And Paul, in chapter 11, says in regards to taking the Lord's Supper, he says, I have no praise for you. In other words, some of you have messed up what was to be such a wonderful event. And as I was talking with the deacons in my office, he goes on to say, some of you leave hungry. In other words, some were bringing food, the bread, the wine for the meal, and some who had nothing came with nothing. And those who brought the food consumed the food, and those who came with nothing left with nothing. And communion is that. That's why I love the passing of the cup and the passing of the bread. It is yours to share this gift that God has given you to share with the next person. Now, lots, lots could be said about that and how we have then taken what Paul corrected. In fact, there's then the rest of that chapter he discusses, you know, get your life right. Get your relationship with Christ straight. Or you could be bringing some judgment upon yourself, if you know that passage. And many times in churches that I grew up, and I'm sure I've read this passage alone and said, you know, if you are not ready to take the Lord's Supper. Don't say worthy, because I don't think any one of us is worthy other than through him. And abstain on this particular Sunday if this is what you're, you know, you're feeling in your heart. 
And jokingly, I said, as Baptists, if you ever saw the person sitting next to you not take the, the elements when they went by, oh, 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 Steve just smiled. You go, hey, man, what have you been doing, you know? So, so we go from that to modern, if you will, let me say early church Christianity to, let's jump ahead way up to the Reformation, where you have Zwingli, uh, Calvin, and Luther talking about what the communion elements really mean. And those of us who come from a Protestant tradition still even differ, differ sometimes. Is the bread that you're holding, and I'm intentionally making you hold this, or, or set it on your knee. Very smart, Aaron. Very smart. Um, so you can reflect and think about this piece of bread that you have. Is that bread, is that juice, the actual body and blood of Christ that some traditions will say through transubstantiation it is? Or is it like what the Baptists would say, it is a symbol, it is an ordinance, something we are called to do? Because around the world today, and every day for that matter, there will be Christian congregations taking communion. Right here in San Antonio, there are some denominations that will take communion every Sunday, every day. Not just on Sundays. There are some that will take it weekly. There are some that will take it monthly. There are some that will take it quarterly. There are some Christian denominations, and I had to refamiliarize myself. I knew I'd heard of one. Uh, there are some who do not take communion at all. So in the mix of the elements, in the mix of the timing, in the mix of how do we look at this, does it convey grace? Is it simply an order? Is it something that is life-changing? Is it something that is a reminder? I want to say, uh-huh. There's so much in this because each one of you having personal relationship with the bread of life. And just as you smell that bread today, some of you may be reminded of meals that mom made or grandma made or the bread that you tried to make. And the bread that we offer today brings all those and more to our minds. So with that little short history of some of the traditions, in fact, there's another tradition, intinction. Some take the bread and dip it into the cup. That way you get both elements at the same time. Um, chief challenged me that I should have served raisin bread because you would have both the bread and the grape together. That's... That's a little further. He's, he's always way ahead of me. But today I want us to focus on the bread of life. And I may challenge a tradition or a custom or our common practice in this hour. But if through it all we become partakers of the bread of life, I know that it will be pleasing to God the Father. So all have been served at this point, right? And we got bread left over. We have another loaf if we need it. Let me uh, ask you to follow along with the text up on the screen, or perhaps uh, if you have a Bible and you can hold that and your piece of bread, because I want you to hang on to that for a second. Pierce did a wonderful job. I listened to his sermon. I, didn't, I was in church at the same time, uh, and he uh, did a great job talking about uh, the signs and the symbols and um, I want to back up just a hair, although it's not on there. I'm going to back up 31 so you understand. Uh, Jesus has said, um, uh, verse 32, he said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is 
He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. In other words, continue to give us the bread, kind of like what you were doing with the feeding of the 5,000. And here we begin with that wonderful first I am statement. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all, none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Well, they knew all the baggage of that family too. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we hold a piece of bread in our hands that represents for us the body of Christ that was broken, that was offered for us as our sacrifice, for we are a sinful people, born into sin. Only through your Son may we find redemption. In this hour, as we look at Jesus' statements about who he is and his relationship with you, May you touch our minds and our hearts and let us dine today on the bread of life. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hang on. Don't take it yet. Most of you are saying, oh, he prayed and said amen. Now it's time to eat it. No, keep holding it. Two points. First one, never grow hungry or thirsty. When I was in seminary, which uh, now seems to be Good golly, 40 plus years ago. Surely they've written five more Bibles since then. But uh, 40 years ago, my uh, best friend in seminary, we were watching TV, and I, you know, I've probably watched more TV than hours spent reading. But I did graduate, so I just want you to know that. Um, but we were watching the Dick Cavett show. Those of you who are really old know who I'm talking about. Those of you who are really young, you have to ask an old person. So it's kind of like uh, late-night talk shows in the morning or in the afternoon. And, and there were two guests on Cavett's, Dick Cavett's that day. 
And sitting there in their seats, you know, very much set up like the Johnny Carson or the Jay Leno or all the other ones who have come after him, he's asking them questions. And they said, what, what is it so unique about you two today? And the woman said and looked at the man and said, we are breatharians. Oh, okay, got my attention, whatever I was doing, a breatharian. Oh, what's a breath? So Dick Cavett says, what's a breatharian? Well, we believe that all substance, all that we need to live comes from air and light. Therefore, we don't eat food. And I thought, a word I wouldn't say in church. You know, that's just, that's bunk. That's just garbage. I mean, I've heard some jokes in my day, and he's got a charlatan on there or whatever, you know. That's just crazy. A breatharian, you don't eat and you survive? I mean, impossible. So that story came to mind as I'm thinking about the bread that if you consume it, you'll never go hungry and never go thirsty. And I thought, surely that's wrong. And I looked it up. Nope, there are still people who are practicing breatharians. In fact, there was a YouTube video that I'm not going to play, and I didn't even watch it. I just clicked on it and saw it starting. A husband and wife that claim they haven't eaten in seven years. i got a doctor right there on the front row. You think you can live for seven years without eating? Yeah. Fact is, if you don't eat, you will die. We just just talked about your father-in-law. If you don't eat, you will die. And the fact is, absent of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. That's fact. As we stand here today, following the bread of life. Many of you have heard me quote from Frederick Beekner many times, a scholar, uh, preacher, teacher. Uh, he has a great way of looking at life. He actually passed away last month at the age of 96. He wrote in his book, Wishful Thinking, we don't live by bread alone, but we also don't live without it. To eat is to acknowledge our dependence, both on food and on each other. Think about it. How many of you eat food that somebody else got to the grocery store? Most of us, unless you've got a really great garden and got some cows or some pigs or some fish or something, you're probably dependent on somebody else bringing the food to H-E-B or wherever you shop. It also reminds us of the other kinds of emptiness that not even the blue plate special can touch. In the desert, when Jesus was tempted by the devil to take rocks that most commentators will say probably looked like loaves of bread, and those of you who have those big round landscaping stones in your yard, you know what I'm talking about. He said, turn those into bread if you're hungry. And Jesus said to him, what? It is written, man shall not live on, but on every word that proceeds from. Interesting how throughout John, he ties in the very first chapter. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is foreshadowing, and that was in Matthew. He's telling us what John is going to tell us, that he is the Word. He is the incarnate God. Next we see when he teaches his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount how they can pray, 
after you know our Father out in heaven, eventually you come to that line that says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. So you see, it is a daily, it is a constant reliance upon the bread of life that keeps us from going hungry or ever thirsty. But why do Christians grow hungry and thirsty? Hmm. So I, I wrote these things down for myself. When you start thinking that other things other than Jesus and your relationship with him satisfy you or could satisfy you, you will start getting hungry. And that hunger turns to pain, which turns to problems. Spend time eating the fruit of your own labor, and you will soon find yourself hungry and thirsty. Drink the liquor of politics and hate, and you will find yourself hungry and thirsty. Feast at the smorgasbord of your own personal pleasures, and you will find yourself hungry and thirsty. Back to bread. According to the American Baking Association, over $400 billion of revenue is produced in bakeries in the United States. $400 billion. Hang on for this quick. The average American eats one pound of bread a week. Yeah, I said, do donuts count? Does pizza count? How about tortillas? I mean, you know, I may be up to the five-pound range or daily of seven. I don't know. <clears throat> in my hometown, we were talking earlier today. In my hometown, and I've said this before, uh, three brothers named Lewis borrowed $300 from the bank against their mother's home to buy a cabin, and with a Model T pickup truck, they started baking bread and delivering it to the homes in the community. That is now called Lewis Brothers Bakery, the home of Bunny Bread that my hometown was known for. It is the fifth largest bread producer in the United States. Their annual revenues are somewhere around 800, 900 million a year. But in a cost-cutting decision, they closed the bakery in my hometown. The home of Bunny Bread is no longer at home. Yeah. But I thought, how, how, how creative to bring bread to the homes of others. And how we as Christians could be, bring, could be bringing the bread of Christ to others. And it takes no loan. It doesn't require you putting your house up, you know, for collateral. You simply need to share the good news of Jesus. Last week, I took my mother and sister and Brenda, uh, who's home uh, recovering today, a little bit of an illness, um, to our home area. We flew in to St. Louis, which is what you do if you live in southern Illinois. Uh, we flew into St. Louis and made our way across 64 and down Highway 142 that I don't know that I'd ever been on that brought us into my mom's hometown of El Dorado, Illinois. We actually took a turnoff on Highway 64 at Bell Rive, or Bell Rive, or however we say that, which is where my father was born. I'd never even been through that town. And in that probably 50-mile stretch of road, 
every dinky town, and I grew up in a dinky town, but I mean, we had 1,700 in Jonesboro, let me tell you. But I went through some towns of 200 or less. But every little town we went, if they had a sign out there advertising the name of the town, there was a church. And about 80% of those churches were Baptist. Now, I don't know how many were Southern Baptists, because it was Illinois. It could have been the Yankee American Baptists. But a lot of them were Southern, because it's considered Southern Illinois. And I thought, wow, what missionary work they were doing. I know Norris was so fundamental on missions and helped start churches around this community and further how much more we should be like those little churches. I'm not saying being a small church. I'm saying be a church that is interested in sharing the gospel, taking the bread of life to everyone. He is the bread that comes down from heaven, and those who eat it will not die. Please join with me now as we look at this piece of bread that most of you have been holding. This is my body, Jesus said, broken for you, so if you want to tear it apart, you can, or not. The bread of life, and when you consume this bread with faith in me, you will never grow hungry. So take some time. I want you to try to eat it all, and then we'll come on. Deacons, as we're doing that, you guys just jam it in your mouth and get up and start coming up. I want you to come and start serving the, the cups, so don't choke. Somebody here knows the Heimlich, so... There are lots of things you plan out in your mind. <clears throat> the dryness of this bread was not one. <laughs> I sent uh, Dennis a YouTube video this week of uh, one of Token's trilogies there, the Lord of the Rings, and the bread that the elves eat is called Lampus, 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 something. Yeah. But a, a little portion is supposed to sustain you for the entire day because of what you think and reflect and know about the bread and the power of the bread. Many of us, as I said, grew up on Baptist chiclets, and this is really challenging you. Or if you're used to the styrofoam hosts. Um, but hopefully it brings to mind the, the body of your Savior, which was broken for you and I. Try to consume it all.
in this text, there's so much in here that we could spend weeks upon as many verses as I took today. But we'll even talk more about what Jesus says next week in regard to drinking his blood and eating his flesh, which is quite uh, earth-shattering talk in his day, and still even in our day. But as we, gentlemen, come back, please. As we consider never grow hungry or thirsty, the second point would be eat to live forever. Thank you. If I had that bread mentioned in uh, Token's books, that elf bread, um, or even had the resources of bunny bread, I still wouldn't have consumed the right bread nor the money to live forever. Enter once again, verse 51. And I, I've skipped through, I'm trying to get through a lot of things today. I, I love the fact that they knew him in verse 41, and they argue in verse 42 and I mean, 41, 42, he tells them who he's are, and he says, uh, stop grumbling amongst yourself. They knew the history of Mary and Joseph, and undoubtedly, as many small towns, they know uh, that they ran off for a period of time and came back. And it makes me think of my friend who talked about homemade jelly, to have homemade bread. He was the homemade bread, but came from above. Good stuff in here. So now we go to verse 51, which is that pivotal verse that summarizes everything. That's why I think you could come all down to this. He says, I am the living bread that came down. In other words, came from heaven, came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh. John uses a different word. He doesn't use the word for body. He uses the word for flesh. And some commentators like to argue that was he, you know, telegraphing the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist? I think it's just John way he's writing. And Jesus says, will I, which I will give for the life of this world. In other words, by devouring his flesh, we may receive life everlasting. To eat, to live forever. This is the first of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. If you remember... The feeding of the 5,000, I said, was the fifth of seven signs. This is the first of seven I am's. And I used to have a, a little acrostic that I could memorize in the same out loud, but I've got them written down, so I'll just tell you. He says, I am the bread of life in this chapter. He will go on to say, I am the light of the world. He will say, I am the door. He will say, I am the resurrection and the life. He will say, I am the good shepherd. He will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, he will say, I am the true vine. Each time, the emphasis of I am recalls the Father. In the Old Testament, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He says, tell him I am sent you. Each statement echoes Jesus' declaration of his divinity and his purpose for coming. Together, they set the framework for John's purpose in this gospel. We started, and I think our cover slide says, is these things are written so that you may believe and have eternal life. I sat down last week while I was home with um, a couple, Brenda and I both together. You know, I didn't leave her. You know, I went, 
with um, her and met uh, Fred and Sharon Neiman, um, people that I met in the first church that I pastored right after seminary. Known them since 1984. Fred, uh, Marine, Vietnam veteran. Those of you who were, if you have a, I'm John is here. Where's John? Castaneda. I saw him this morning. He's back here with the coffee. Where is he, John? Yeah. So if you wear a Vietnam ribbon, it says 62 dash, because it never really ended. Fred was there in 62. <laughs> Actually, might have been a little bit of 61. Uh, and the stories he would tell me, because, you know, I was already thinking about the chaplaincy and wanting to serve in the military as, as a representative of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but uh, Fred was a state trooper. My dad was a state trooper. So we hit it off. Oh, oh, by the way, he was also the only deacon that church had when I got there. And uh, having lunch with them, I, I asked where their daughter Tamara was, because Tamara was supposed to join us. Tamara was, uh, I think, barely starting high school when we were there. She might have been eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, somewhere right around high school almost. And he said, well, she had to work, and I'm sorry she couldn't be here. And I said, how old is Tamara now? Thinking she would, they would say something like, you know, 25. Well, she's 51. Uh, 51, that's impossible. And I just, I, I just was in, you know, dumbfounded that that had happened, that life had this idea of living forever, I know physically we will not live forever. Fred is looking 80 years old pretty hard in the face. I think he's about 77, 78. Sharon looked the same, hair a little grayer, although who am I to say anything about gray hair? And uh, Fred, who used to always stand taller than me, uh, and I'm not six foot anymore either, I think I'm more like 5'10", five, 5'9 five, and a half coming down. Uh, I'm sure he's not quite as strong as he used to be, but, you know, the first two swings on the chin, I would be down. So I just have to let him miss me twice, and then he would be down from swinging. But their love for the Savior, as we talked about church, as we talked about faith, has not wavered. It has been and has, will be forever once they sampled the bread of life, that which saves, that which enables that which blesses us with his glory for eternity. Jesus would offer up his body as a sacrifice for our sins. So may we now take this cup, this blood which was shed for us. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood which represents a sin offering for sinners such as you and I. Drink ye all of it. In the gospel account of that Lord's Supper, we read that after they had shared a meal, they sang a hymn. And at this point, I'm going to ask you to stand. And in a moment, uh, as the praise team comes, we'll sing a song together. It will be our decision hymn. A decision to decide for Christ or against Christ. I talked with the deacons this morning that perhaps we should have said to everyone, and I, I tried to encourage everyone to take a slice of bread, because Christ offers himself to each one of you. What you do with that bread of life will determine eternity for you.
So bow your heads with me, please. Let's pray and ask God to move in our midst and let decisions be made for him. Father, as we bow our heads and as we have shared this communion time in a unique way for us in our traditional style, and maybe some of us got our throats a little dry on the bread or perhaps the, the juice was not sufficient to wash it down, but your body and your blood shed for us are sufficient for all. And it's through faith in this bread of life that I can stand here and say we need to share that good news with everyone. And it's through that bread of life that we can find salvation. And it's through that bread of life that we can have the substance, the strength to go through the dark days of our lives. It is through that bread of life that you call to us, smell the aroma of my bread, smell the aroma of my grace, of my forgiveness. And Lord, if there's someone right now that is carrying a hunger because they followed their own desires versus yours, if they're thirsty for that drink of the living water, like the woman of the well, she says, give it to me. Like these people said before the text we preached today, may we have. Lord, you have laid it out for us today. If there's someone who's never come to know Jesus, I pray that this would be the moment. If they step forward from where they are, we'll talk, we'll pray, and let them dine on the bread of life. This is our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.